Today on the Doc on the Run podcast, we've got Jill Angie here, and this is going to be a real treat for you. We're talking about how self-confidence and self-love beat finish times every time. So the big question is this, how are runners like us who don't like hearing doctors say, just stop running, who know that we simply have to stay active, how do we heal in a way that lets us stay strong, maintain our running fitness, and keep preparing for the next race, and still heal without making the injury worse? Well, that is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Dr. Christopher Segler, and welcome to the Doc on the Run podcast. Now, this episode is going to be a real treat, and I know you're going to love it. But before we get started, I just wanted to mention that Jill has decided to offer something available for all the listeners to the show. It's her 30-day running start free training plan. So we'll have a link to it in the show notes at docontherun.com slash notyouraverageRunner. Check out the episode. I know you're going to love it. But at the end of the show, make sure you go to the show notes and then download your free 30-day running start training plan. Let's get into it. I am really excited to have Jill on the show. So she hosts a podcast called Not Your Average Runner Podcast, and it is a really great, uplifting show. Uh, I actually have it as one of the favorites on my playlist, so I get notified every single time one of her episodes comes out. And the truth is, is that like I kind of think of Jill's podcast as sort of like the Oprah of running podcasts. You know, it's always positive. It's always uplifting. It always has a message that we're not always thinking about, and it really is fantastic. So if you don't know about her or her podcast or show, you should definitely check it out. So Jill, I'm really grateful that you could come on today. So welcome to the show. Hi. (laughs) That just made my day. You calling me the Oprah of the running podcast world. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for inviting me to be here. It's my pleasure. Before we get started, I was just hoping that maybe what you could do is share a little bit about your story as a runner, you know, why you started running, how you started and how you use running to inspire change in other people's lives. And so why don't you just give us a little background on you and your story? Of course. So I've been a runner kind of off and on for almost 25 years now. And I started the way I think most women start is I thought it would help me lose weight. (laughs) And I was wrong because really, you know, that's like, that's a whole other discussion. But um, when I started, I was embarrassed about telling people I was a runner because I couldn't run very far. I had to stop and walk every 30 seconds or so. And I didn't look like a runner because I was very overweight. And so I would run in my neighborhood after dark so that nobody could see me. Um, I wouldn't tell anybody about it. And I, I really, I kind of kept it a secret for a while. And I was like almost punishing myself with running because I thought you need to lose weight. And And running is going to help you do that. And somewhere along the way, I realized running wasn't going to help with that, but I started to kind of like it. (laughs) And I entered a 5K, gosh, I think it was like 1998 before 5Ks were on every street corner. And they didn't even give me a medal, right? I think I got a mug, which I still have. (laughs) And after I ran that 5K, I I was at work couple days later. And I guess the word had gotten out because some people I worked with were there and they saw me. And this woman came up to me and she said, she kind of whispered it in my ear in the hallway. She said, I know what you did. And I want you to know that you're my hero. 
And I was like, what? And she's just like, like you inspire me. I want to do what you do. And I thought, oh my gosh, (laughs) here I am. I've been hiding this from people because I was embarrassed. And here's somebody else that really needed to see an example of a plus size body running and enjoying it and, and, you know, frankly, not being ashamed of it. So I kind of got over myself after that and started talking about it more. And then that evolved eventually into me quitting my corporate job entirely (laughs) so that I could become a running coach, which is just sort of fast forwarded over the past 20 years. But here we are today. (laughs) That's fantastic. And, you know, I think it's really, really important for people to hear your message. And, And I know you've talked about this in a lot of your episodes on your show where you talk about the way that we define running. And unfortunately for most of us, when we get started, we don't really think of ourselves as real runners. But the fact is, is that, you know, that day you go for that first run, you become a runner. And yeah. running, as you said a bunch of times, is that running is defined as moving, you know, faster than walking. And so if you go out and you walk for a minute and you run for 30 seconds and you do that over and over for half an hour, you just went for a run. And yet we have all of this stuff that we compare and you know, it's like looking at Instagram or something and you see these pictures of these amazing looking runners doing amazing things. They're posting their times and you're just thinking, oh, well, I can't go do 18 miles at a five minute pace. And we start having this crazy comparison. But, you know, even before that time when there was Instagram and these really horrible comparisons that we have to actually get away from, I really found it difficult to label myself as a real runner. But I started running when I was a kid. I would get, you know, my dad would um, take me to every, basically every 5K or 10K that I could, you know, convince him to get out of bed on a Saturday morning to drive me there super early. Any place within driving distance that I found, he would take me to. I got my first trophy when I was like 11 or 12. And, uh, you know, in a, in a, an organized cross country race, you know, that was on a Saturday morning. I still remember like running through the creek and, I got a trophy, but I didn't think I was a real runner. You know, I was a kid that went to a race and got lucky and got a trophy. And I ran and ran and ran. And then when I was, you know, an adult, I was going to do my first marathon and the flight got delayed and I was sitting on the floor. I had been training, you know, all winter in the snow, running on ice, you know, running in the dark. And I was sitting on the floor, you know, at the airport, it was crowded And this guy came and sat down next to me and I don't know if it was like my backpack or my shirt or what, but he started talking to me, said, Oh, so you're a runner. And I was like, well, not really, you know, I'm, I'm uh, but I'm going to do my first marathon this weekend. And this guy had done a whole bunch of marathons and we were talking and, uh, and then his, his wife walked over and he said, Hey, I want you to meet somebody. This is Chris. He's a marathon runner. And I almost started to cry like, because it just like occurred to me that like I'd gone for decades of being a runner and actually not defining myself as a real runner because I hadn't done a marathon and I was going to do on that weekend. And I still didn't think I was a runner. And it's so pervasive in the running community that we, you know, think, you know, your goal is this, you put on your refrigerator, you stare at it every single day. And then if you miss it by a minute, you failed. And it is really hard to understand why we do that to ourselves, but I know that we do. And, um, 
And I know that you've talked about that so much. And that's really one of the things I love about your show. It's just the way that you, you really help us all realize. And the truth is like when I have a bad day, when I've had a horrible day, when I run, I listen to your podcast. And you know, what I love about your show though, is the way that you help all of us really realize that we're all strong, worthy, and that running is worthwhile, no matter what the pace, no matter what your day was like, uh, no matter how slow you feel, no matter what you feel like you look like when you run. And, you know, and that's what I really love about it. So what can you tell us about what you've really learned from getting runners to consider this idea of really thinking about self-love as runners? The, the women that I work with, the people that listen to my podcast, a lot of them come thinking that if they want to start running, it has to look a certain way. And that's just a thought, right? That's just a belief that they have that's been handed to them by the media or by, you know, just other people in their lives. And if I can, if I can just crack open the door a little bit to believing that you get to define running for yourself, then like, then the rest is super easy. <laughs> it's like, that's a belief. I think if you can take that belief on that, if you run, you are a runner, whether you're running for 30 seconds, whether you're running for 30 hours, right? Running is running. And they're like, when you look in the dictionary, you know, the definition of runner is not somebody who does marathons. It's not somebody who can do a five minute mile. Like there's none of that in there. It's literally just somebody who runs. And so I, like the belief that you're a runner has to come from within. Nobody else can hand you that. And I know you're, you're the person you met in the airport gave you a thought to think maybe a little bit differently. You probably didn't believe him in the moment. You're like, oh, this guy thinks I'm, he's a, I'm a runner, but he's wrong. I haven't done a marathon. <laughs> um, so that belief that you're a runner has to come from within. And I think that that's, that's what I've learned from coaching, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people is that's where it has to start. There's no, there's no distance you can run. There's no pace you can run. There's no amount of years that you can run that like suddenly you're going to believe it. Like you have to work on that belief from within the whole time. And you can believe you're a runner before you even have even started running. I like I really think that some of my clients come to me and they're like, I'm a runner at heart. I just haven't started yet. And those are my favorite people to work with because yeah. then it's like, oh, all right, well, let's just teach you the skills because you already believe that you're doing it. It is all about the belief, you know, and, and the, these perceptions, right? We get these perceptions, self-perceptions, self-images mm -hmm. from all of these places. I saw some picture on on social media one day and it was a picture of an apple that had, you know, a bite out of the other side of it. And it was, you know, it was gross looking. It looked like somebody took a bite out of it and it sat for three days. And, you know, and it's sitting, and the apple is sitting in front of a mirror and the picture's taken. And in the mirror, it looks 100% perfect. But the view from behind the, the mirror, you know, where the camera is, it looks like a disgusting rotten apple. And that is like exactly what is going on in social media much of the time. You know, we yeah. see people who, talk about how great they're doing. And, uh, and many of the, you know, people that have hundreds of thousands of followers or more, if you go through their feeds, you notice that they have all these pictures that make it look like they're running 15 or 20 miles a day. And then you actually look at it. The outfits are the same, you know, six posts down as the one six posts before. It's just, there's, you know, a bunch of workouts that are spread throughout their post and it gives us, but we see them and we're like, oh my gosh, she went and ran another 15 miles today. No, she didn't. That was from last Tuesday. 
And, <laughs> but you know, it's really, it's really difficult to stay away from those comparisons. And even when we go out on a run and we're not really subjected to social media, it's intimidating when somebody comes flying by you, you know, it's, yeah. it's hard to not go, Oh man, what am I doing here? That's part of the deal. You know? And I mean, I'll think running is one of the best forms of exercises because it doesn't require anything. You know, you can take your shoes on vacation. You can any single day you can put on your shoes and you can head out the door. And that's, what's so great about it. it is very, very easy to do. Uh, but one of the worst things about running is it is also very easy to compare yourself to anybody you see out on a run, no matter what, no matter whether you know if they just came out the door and started running and they're running fast and they're only going half a block or you know if you're slogging along and you're doing a long run and you feel bad because somebody passed you at the end it's crazy so when you have these new runners you're working with that are struggling with some of these self perceptions that are self defeating what advice do you give them in terms of telling them that you know your your efforts are worthwhile and you and you're really a real runner as soon as you start running like how do you work with them and how do you tell them that I start out very often by saying, run your own race because you can't, you can't look at somebody else. You, you really, we just can't compare ourselves to others unless that person has lived the exact same life as you, right? You cannot really compare yourself because they may have been a runner for the past 20, 20 years. They may have, like you, started when they were a kid. They may have started last week. Like you don't know. They may be at the end of a really long run and struggling. They may be at the beginning of a run and feeling great. And there's, there's no way to compare. And also a comparison, I think, is it's such a waste of our thinking because we only have so much brain energy to spend every day, right? And so why would we want to use those precious thoughts that we have that we can use to propel us forward by looking at somebody else and finding ourselves lacking. So, you know, it's just run your own race, run the mile you're in. That's another thing that I say frequently to like, you cannot run mile 10 when you're in mile one of a race. So just run mile one, be present for what you're doing right now. There's a picture of, I think it's Michael Phelps. And then there's another swimmer whose name is lost to history for the reason I'm about to tell you. <laughs> and so Michael Phelps is like looking forward and he's like, you know, just about to, to touch the wall in his race and win a gold medal. And the other swimmer is maybe, I don't know, half a foot behind him. And the other swimmer is looking at Michael Phelps as Michael Phelps is finishing. And it's like, that. that's like such a great metaphor for, you know, comparison, right? That other, that other guy's like comparing himself to this guy that's better than him. And as a result, he, he might've taken the gold, who knows, but he was so busy looking at his competition. Then his competition was only looking at swimming his own race and staying in his own lane. It is really, really crucial uh, to, you know, to pay attention to what you're doing and what's in front of you, right? Like I, I raced motorcycles professionally long before I went to med school and um, this guy that was my mentor, his name was Fred Provis, and he taught me everything I needed to know. And, you know, he, he, he called me Bub, and, uh, and I would get off the track and say, hey, Bub, we're going to do this. And, hey, Bub, you need to do that. And one of the first things that I did when I went to practice with him is I took one of my street bikes, and we we're renting the racetrack, and he's like, okay, we're, first thing we do is take your mirrors off. And you can't race with mirrors, but you know, I was really new at it. And he's like, you need to take your mirrors off and you need to take the mirrors off your street bike too. And I was like, why in the world would I do that? And he said, listen, bub, there is no progress behind you. There's no valuable information in your rear view mirror. And like, that is so true. It is a hundred percent true yeah. in so many things that we do. And you know, you cannot 
really see where you're going if you're looking over your shoulder. And yeah. uh, it, you know, it's really tough. So I, I know that you've worked with so many runners over the years. And you know, what, one of the things that really happens that really gets us kind of stuck in that rear view mirror mentality, I think, is when we get injured. Because it takes a lot of effort. Like if you decide you're going to do your first 5K or your first 10K or half marathon or whatever, and you pick this goal that really does seem like a stretch. You know, you just, you can't imagine how you're going to run that far when you sign up for it, when you do it the first time. With my first marathon, I didn't actually believe that I had it done until I hit like mile 24 and a half or something. <laughs> when I could literally hear the finish line and it was flat and I could see, you know, like this crowd of people showing up as I came around a corner. I, didn't, I wasn't convinced I would make it until then. But which is completely insane because I had done, you know, 22 or 24 miles or something in a long run before it. So it's, a, it's just ridiculous when you look at it in hindsight, but it's incredible how powerful our mind is when we're uncertain. And, you know, so we sign up for a race, we design a training program or somebody, you know, signs up and you give them a training program and you lay out carefully and thoughtfully all these workouts and you keep convincing them that you don't have to run a marathon. You just have to run this thing tomorrow. And then you have to rest like this the next day. And then you have to do this thing the day after that. And each one of these things you can do for sure, but you have to do each of them. And part of what happens, I think, is we tell ourselves, okay, if we miss one thing, the whole thing falls apart and there's no way, you know, like we're going to completely fail if we miss one thing. And, and so we, you know, get stuck in that whole like hustle mentality and, you know, the, the struggle every day, you know, you get money in the, you know, or time in the bank on your feet, all that kind of stuff. And it, it just really turns bad when you get an injury because then you look at all this work you put into it and you feel like it's vaporized and it was a waste of time and you feel like a failure because you're not doing all these workouts that you know were still on your calendar that you're going to have to skip because you got injured and then if you're still thinking maybe you'll do your race you know it's going to be terrible because you can't do all these workouts and you're you know withering away and all that stuff and it's just so hard when you've been really working hard training hard you know maintaining all the discipline to beat yourself up and the thing is, is that we know self-criticism heals no wounds. That is for sure. Nobody's going to get better for scolding themselves. And so, yeah, I'm really curious how you think that we can take an injury and really reframe it in a way that doesn't permit us to beat ourselves up so much when we get injured and have to change course a little bit. Yeah. I, I, and I've, I've dealt with this a lot personally, right? My own, my own body and uh, with my clients and I think the first thing I always think of is like, okay, I got injured. This just wasn't my race. That's literally what I think to myself. Like there's always going to be another race. In fact, until COVID came along (laughs) and took the races away for a year. Um, But for the most part, there's always going to be another race. There's always another chance. There's always another marathon. There's always another half marathon. And so I just like to say, oh, this just isn't my race. I thought it was, I was wrong this is my time to get injured. And this is my time to figure out how to fix that injury so that I can come out of it stronger. So, you know, an injury, I think what happens is people get injured and they think something has gone wrong. And I'm like, no, actually your body is operating exactly as it was designed to. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. Right. You, you know, you, it's a running is a repetitive motion sport. And if you're, if there's something off in your gait or muscle muscular imbalances or something like that, right. 
that repetitive motion will create an injury. And that's your body's way of saying, Hey, you have to fix this thing. And so nothing has gone wrong when you've got an injury. It's just literally part of the process. And sometimes I'll tell my runners like, Hey, if you didn't think you were a real runner now, you definitely are. <laughs> so real runners get injured. Right. Um, that so I is think fantastic. <laughs> it's like the proof, like athletes get injuries. Also athletes take time off to rehab their injuries. I think if you think of like pro ball players, if they get injured, their doctors are like, all right, you're off the field and they do everything necessary to rehab themselves so that they can come back stronger. And I think believing that you have to do literally every single training run to have your best race, I think is, is mistaken. Right. And oh, yeah. I mean, I look at training plans like, Hey, if I get 80% of those runs in, I'm probably going to have an awesome race. Right. If I get 90% even better, but I think aiming for a hundred percent at the expense of your body is, you know, is makes it more likely that you're going to get injured. Yep. That's for sure. And, you know, that's, that's great. I mean, I love the idea of uh, uh, reminding someone that if you get a running injury, that clearly defines you as a very real <laughs> runner. I mean, that is definitely the qualifier. But, um, you know, it's really so interesting because when we think about injuries and what really happens, you know, all a running injury is, an overtraining injury, is an exaggerated version of what we're trying to do in training anyway. I mean, you design a schedule that is supposed to tax your system in a way that creates little bits of micro tissue damage here and there that needs to be strengthened. And then you recover after the workout and you get stronger and you can do another one. And over time you get stronger and stronger. And if you do just a little bit too much, then you get an overtraining injury. And yet we think of them as these horrible mistakes. And we think of them as, you know, now created this scenario where we're going to lose all of our fitness, which is not always true. But that, that idea of having to do every workout is so pathologic and so wrong that it really causes injuries lots of the times. Like I saw a guy who, very, very smart guy, very fast marathon runner, and he was training for a marathon and he ended up getting an injury and what he did was he had his schedule of stuff to do. And then something changed and his company said, hey, this week you have to go to New York Monday to Thursday. So he was in New York. He was in work meetings and stuff. So he's on a plane, you know, across the country for two of those days. And then he was scheduled to go climb Half Dome in Yosemite, the steep side, you know, up the front uh, that early, you know, Friday, I think. And, um, so he, you know, he still like didn't change that. So he's, he's agonizing over his training schedule and knows that he's going to miss some of the workouts, which he did. And then what he had had was his long run was only going to be 10 miles, but it was on Saturday. And so he, you know, went on this stressful work trip. He came home and packed up his stuff. He and his buddy went to Yosemite. They climbed half dome. And as soon as they descended, he went for a 10-mile run, and then he did another 10-mile run the next day because he had a total of 20 miles that he had basically missed because he had to go to New York. And he got injured. And I was talking to him, and I was, just, and I was sitting in his living room. I said, man, this is probably going to hurt, but that's got to be the dumbest thing I have ever heard. And <laughs> I mean, it, you know, it just, but it is because when you look at it in hindsight, it seems so ridiculous that you would do something so blatantly obviously not a good idea and yet he did it because he was convinced that he needed the miles and you don't need miles that are going to injure you but 
when you know something hurts and you're ignoring it, well, you know, doing that next long run is probably a horrible idea. And it is incredible how many athletes I have seen who get injured and they don't call me because they got injured. They get called me because a doctor told them you can't do your race. And then they freak out and they call me. So this is the thing. I mean, I got a, a, a message this morning from someone that I said, I saw my doctor yesterday and he put me in a boot. I want to know if I can run. Well, the chances are really good, really good that if your doctor yesterday looked at you and looked at your x-rays and put you in a boot, that it's probably a dumb idea to run today. Um, but they want that answer. They want clearance. They want to go for it. And what happens though, overwhelmingly is I'll see these patients who are four weeks to six weeks out from a race. You know, we do a zoom call or something and go through their whole story. And I say, well, you know, the idea is to reduce the stress to the injured piece of tissue enough that you can actually continue to heal and potentially do your race. You're going to have to dial back your activity. End of story. You don't have to stop all of it, but you've got to reduce the stress enough that you can still recover and do your race. And over and over and over, I've seen runners who are in that scenario. And then what they do is they go do their race. And they've had this period of like a month or so where they really dialed back their efforts. And so it kind of turns into a, a glorified extended taper or something. And they're always freaking out about it. They're always very anxious. And I've had tons of them who actually have PRs in marathons or Ironmans or half marathons or whatever. And they're shocked. And they're like, wow, man, this was great. I can't believe I got a new PR. I'm like, okay, so what is the thing that you learned from that? Well, that, you know, I can be injured and still have a fast race. No, what you learned is that that means you have historically been way overtrained for all of your races, or you would have had a PR before. A stress fracture is not going to make you run faster, you know? Yeah. And yet we, we have this skewed perspective. And even when somebody does well after an injury, they still want to skew the perspective and lie to themselves and think that, you know, somehow it was magical that they got their PR. It's all about what our bodies can and can't do. And our perceptions of what our bodies can and can't do is what's really off, I think, most of the time. Yeah. So with those runners that get injured, um, you know, what do you do when they're coming back from an injury and they're already kind of, well, not kind of demoralized, they're severely demoralized, even if they're not talking about it. And they're really anxious to get going. And you're trying to give them a schedule on how to ramp back up. I mean, What's, what do you tell them? Because I think a lot of times they're like, okay, so what I need to do is some makeup homework and do some extra runs and then just jump back into my schedule where I'm supposed to be today based on my calendar, which of course never works. But I'm curious what you do with them when they're injured and they're coming back and they're asking you, you know, what they can do to stay healthy and keep running as they kind of start increasing their mileage again. How do you go about that? So I actually like to start with them a little earlier than the part, the point where they're cleared to run again and have them be sort of a, a, a very active participant in their recovery from the perspective of keeping track of what's going on and like keeping a, a recovery journal of like, mm -hmm. okay, you know, week one, I was in a boot and all I could do was, you know, maybe some like arm workouts or something like that, right? My, my doctor told me to like stay off my foot. And then by week three, I was in physical therapy. And by week six, I was able to, you know, do this move or, and, and like kind of keep track of their progress in written format so mm -hmm. that they can, they can actually see the progression of recovery and look back if they're having one of those moments of, 
I'm not getting any better. I'll never be an athlete again. They can sort of look back and, and see what they've done throughout their recovery. And then if it seems like the progress is slow, they can have a conversation with their, with their physical therapist or their doctor and say like, what else can I do? But at least they've got data. So I like them to keep data throughout their injury. And then at the point where they're cleared to start, I mean, the first thing I say is, did your doctor definitely say it's okay to get back <laughs> running or are you making this like, I'm just going to start. Um, and then I'm like your first run half a mile, like just do half a mile. And then the next day, just pay attention to your body and see how it feels. Right. And it might seem silly to go out and do just a half a mile when like, oh my gosh, I'm training for a marathon. I'm supposed to be running 15 mm -hmm. miles this weekend, but wouldn't you rather run a half a mile and find out that you're not ready to start than to run 10 miles and find out that, oh, I just set my physical therapy back by a month. So I like people to start out really, really slow, way slower, way less than they think is necessary so that if there are any you know, markers of, hey, you're not quite ready to start yet, they come up sooner rather than, or they come up right away. Um, and yeah. then after that, it's just very slow progression. And kind of, I think what I would usually do, if it's somebody that's training for a marathon, I would look at, okay, how many weeks do we have left? Do we have any wiggle room in the taper, right? Can we turn a, a four-week taper into a three-week taper, a three-week into a two-week um, You know, Maybe instead of planning to run the whole thing, we plan to you know, most of my runners do the run walk approach. So maybe it's like, okay, instead of doing a two minute run, one minute walk for your whole race, maybe you're going to do a one minute run, one minute walk so that you can finish and feel good about finishing rather than having to quit halfway through because your injury pops back up. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. And, you know, you have to really put it in perspective. We always have this thing, we're stuck on the schedule and what we're supposed to feel like and what we're supposed to do. And there was a woman I was working with who was getting ready for an Ironman. She got a stress fracture. And I was like, no running. If you want to do the race, I think you can do it. But you need to do this, this, and this. Zero running until race day. And I mean, I talked to her almost every day for that month. But then at least once a week for that month prior to the race, she would call me and say, she would get really anxious. And she would say, I think I just need to go for a short run. And, you know, and she would say, don't you think it's better for me to run uh, you know, and make sure that it's not that I'm going to be running on a completely cold foot that I haven't run at all. And I was like, what is better? Would you rather run your race on a cold foot or a broken foot? Those are your two choices. <laughs> Seems like a cold foot's going to be a lot better than a broken one. Leave it exactly. alone, you know, and exactly. she ended up doing really well, but it's so hard to to remember to do that. And I think what you said is so helpful when you you know, you actually have people track what they're doing and that gives you obviously things you can pay attention to to help you determine whether or not it's okay for you to take the next step in ramping up your activity. But it also reminds me of something one of my buddies told me when I was doing my first marathon. Uh, you know, I asked him, I said, what's your best piece of advice? And he said, my best piece of advice is this. Well, and this guy, his name, um, uh, he went by this thing, Marathon Moose. And, and he said, my best piece of advice for you is to take, he said, did you keep a training log or a schedule of workouts or, you know, do you have something on a calendar or something like that? And I said, yeah, I had a bunch of sheets, you know, of, of a thing that I drew out with all my workouts and all that stuff. And he said, what you should do is the night before the race, I want you to take it out and tape it on your wall. And I want you to stand there and actually look at every single workout that you did. And then I want you to try to think, is it possible that someone that did every single one of these could not finish that race tomorrow? 
And it's really powerful to be able to look at the stuff you've actually done because we think about, you know, the, the stuff we imagine that's bad seems to be more powerful than the proof of what we've actually done sometimes. And I think that, you know, if somebody's injured, like you said, and they're tracking it and they have something to refer back to to say, look, I have been making progress. I am getting stronger. I am not just withering away. It really does. It does help. So, um, you know, the other thing I want to ask you about running injuries specifically is like, what do you think was really helpful to get people to prevent them? Because obviously, you know, getting over a little nagging thing when it starts is so much better than running on it for a few weeks and letting it progressively get worse. So, you know, what do you think it is about running injuries that, that caught, you know, what causes them or what do you think is really helpful to, for people to avoid those injuries in the first place from overtraining? Um, I mean, overtraining, stop overtraining. <laughs> I think like, you know, there's no need to run seven days a week, right? You could three to four days, you can train for most races like that. Um, but I, I believe that the number one thing that most runners are missing is strength training mm-hmm. and, and not just like, okay, just do a couple squats and planks, but like actual targeted strength training. Um, if you can work with a trainer, I think that's like ideal, but there are so many, you know, you can go on, on YouTube and look up strength training for runners and find things that are really specific to help you strengthen the muscles in the way that you're going to use them. Right. Like it's, it's awesome to have strong legs, but you need strong runners legs, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. Like you don't need to be a power lifter. Like you need to be able to, um, use the muscles in the range of motion that you're going to be running with. Right. So I think strength training is important and, uh, sleep and, and hydration, right? I think a lot of us just in general walk around dehydrated and then they're like, Oh, why am I getting muscle cramps when I'm running? And, yeah. and then they're like, Oh, I need like electrolyte replacements and so forth. And like, you know what you could, you could just like drink a lot of water <laughs> and eat some fruits and vegetables. And like, that would probably deal with half of it. But so I think those are, you know, the number one thing is strength training. And most of my runners um, know that this is something that I say, you can either strength train now and you could do that for free, get some stuff off YouTube and, or maybe, you know, sign up for a, a, you know, with a running trainer, or you can pay hundreds of dollars for rehab and take time off during training for your A race. So like the choice is yours, right? I just think that strength training up front is so much easier. It really, <laughs> than, really is. Yeah. yeah. For sure. And this is the thing is that if you think about when people actually get injured, I mean, aside from the odd, you know, stepped in a pothole or tripped over a dog leash that you didn't see, you know, or something like that, these weird, you know, one-off trauma events, basically. I mean, the injuries always happen toward the end of runs. You know, you're already tired, you're already worn out, your form's falling apart, you're loading things more statically than dynamically at higher peak forces. And you're just asking for trouble with every single step at the end of all of our hard workouts. And if you do strength training, you are going to be better in balance. And the more balanced you are, it is basically free speed. The stronger you are with your core and with everything else, the more balanced you will be and the more injury protected you are. And But we as runners don't like to do that. We don't want to go to the gym and lift weights because it doesn't really seem like it's running. You know, it seems different and it is different. And it also strengthens us in ways that are really interesting. And it, it blows me away when I see people who are really strong athletes, whether they're triathletes or runners or whatever, 
and I have them do some really simple tests that actually test specific strength and specific muscle groups. And you'll see somebody, you know, yet literally, like I did some this yesterday with somebody who on a telemedicine call and she I said, okay, take two water bottles. And I want you to put them on the floor by your feet. And she was like, empty or full? I was like, empty. This is going to be an easy workout for you. I want you to stand on one foot and reach down and pick up the water bottles and then stand back up and then put them on the ground without knocking them over or dropping them. And she immediately, her knee was wobbling. It was drifting across the midline. All of this stuff that shows significant weakness. And, you know, I'm like, look, you, I mean, no offense, but I know you're a strong runner and all that, but you can't pick up two empty water bottles without wobbling. So this points to a problem that you might want to address. And it's not going to be as fun as going for a five-mile run, but it will serve you really, really well. And it's just so hard um, to take that and then factor it into our schedules and everything else. But I think it's really crucial. Yeah. So, and it, strength training takes less time than rehab. For sure. <laughs> like, for sure. And I mean, it's really interesting because when I see people who are injured and I'm like, okay, you can't do this because this thing is broken or that thing is torn or whatever, but we're going to talk about everything else you can do because you're not going to do nothing. This is not your, you don't get a furlough from physical activity. You know, you have to do stuff. So we're going to talk about the stuff you can do. And then I'll ask them like, what sort of strength training stuff you do? Well, in the off season, no, 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 not in the off season. What strength training do you do when you're normally in your like full-on training schedule, you know, spring, summer, all that. Well, I, you know, I kind of do some, what do you mean kind of do some planks? You know, you, you, you kind of, what kind of do planks? Does that mean like once a month or once every three months or like every Tuesday, Thursday, what, what is your schedule? Well, I don't really do that. Oh, okay. Well, this is, that's why we're having this call today because you didn't do any of that and now you're injured. So now this is your opportunity to actually put that into practice and make it become a habit so that you can continue to do this and we won't be on a Zoom call again when you get injured again. It's not going to happen if you get stronger. But weak in, you know, runners get injured. Strong runners don't. And it's not strong as in you can run a four-minute mile or a, a two-and-a-half-hour marathon or something absurd like that. It's strong that you feel good when you're running and your form isn't falling apart at the end. That's strength in my mind. So you know, those things like doing these exercises that make us feel strong and obviously putting in all the workouts and all that stuff really should help us build self-confidence because we see our times coming down. We see our heart rate coming down. We see all these things that we can measure objectively as what would be called progress if there was anything to measure. Yet the self-confidence thing really doesn't seem to come so quickly in runners. And so I'm just worried. I mean, I'm not worried about it. I'm curious about what it is that you do that really fosters this kind of self-confidence and helps it grow in the runners you work with? Like, what do you think is really the key with developing that self-confidence? Yeah, I think there's this mistaken belief that you can only be confident after you've proven yourself. But it's sort of a catch-22 because if you need to be confident to prove yourself and you can't be confident until you've done, you know, if you need to have the thing done to feel confident, how do you get the thing done so that you can, it's sort of a, I think catch 22 is the right word, but um, so, so we do a lot of work on, you know, looking for evidence all along the way that they're going to be able to finish their race. Um, Cause a lot of my, I, I train my runners up to 10. If they're going to do a half marathon, I stop them at a 10 mile long run. So I'm like, if you can do 10 miles, especially if it's their first one, if it's their second or third, maybe we'll go a little bit farther, but you can do 10 miles, you can do 13. 
And they all say, no, 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 I need to run a half marathon before my half marathon. I'm like, why? <laughs> why do you need to do that? So I know I can do it. I'm like, you're going to, you, you know, you can do it. Right. So we work a lot on their thinking, um, creating evidence along the way, uh, along through their training. And then also just, just that raw belief that like, Hey, I've, I've done other hard things in my life. I can do this thing too. Cause confidence is really an emotion that comes from our thinking. It doesn't come from our accomplishments. You know, if we have a lot of accomplishments, we may or may not be confident. There's plenty of people out there. Like I'm sure you work with tons of athletes who have done, you know, dozens of races and they still before every race think, Oh gosh, what, what if this is the one where I crash and burn or what if I can't finish? And so I just think like working on that, that just general belief that like, I'm capable of whatever I want to do and helping the runner believe that goes a long way so that, you know, when they're in mile 25 of a marathon and they're thinking, oh my gosh, I can't do it. Right. They've got that belief like, oh, you know, I did this hard thing and this hard thing and this hard thing. Of course I can do this. I've got this. Yeah. It's so interesting too, that, you know, we, what we look for is not the best thing. We, like you said, we look for this, you know, you've got to do 13 miles. If you're going to do a half marathon, we think, well, that'll prove to me that I can do it without, before I show up and do it in front of people. Right. Yeah. So it's really this underlying <laughs> fear. And, you know, I should know, I mean, I've been running a long time and I've been working with injured runners for a long time. And yet my plan, when I was doing lots of Ironman races, I actually, and this will tell you how crazy it is, is that in spite of all of the stuff that I know, the things that I was doing still were crucial mistakes that I was making. And every year, you know, the Houston Marathon is around this time, right? It's, you know, it's just like a week or two ago. And uh, my sister lives in Houston. And so I would go do the Houston Marathon. I'd sign up for it every year. And my idea was that it would force me to do a lot of hard run training through what is supposed to be the off season. So that when it's early marathon season, you know, January, February, I was like full on marathon fitness. And I, my idea was that that would set me up to kick off the rest of my Ironman training throughout the rest of the spring so I could kill it in the late spring, summer, and fall. But this is overtraining. This is classic overtraining, right? It's, and it's a really horrible idea. It's supposed to be the off-season, not the train-your-ass-off season. It's different. <laughs> and so what, when it finally occurred to me was I was doing a workshop with Mark Allen, and he obviously knows what to do. You know, he won the world championship six times. He, he still coaches lots of elite athletes. And I was telling him, and he just, he basically went, yeah, you know, if you really want to get to Hawaii, you're probably gonna have to quit doing that marathon. And, and I, it kind of like, I was like, what, huh? You know, what do you mean? <laughs> and he said, well, you know, a marathon's a lot of tissue damage. He said, the fact is, is if you do a marathon in late January or early February, and then you go do an Ironman in March, April, or May, you're probably never actually recovering through that entire calendar year from that marathon. And I was like, oh yeah, that's exactly right. But until Mark Allen told me that, it had just not been on my radar at all. Mm -hmm. It hadn't occurred to me as a bad idea. You know, I just thought it's that whole thing of the more work you do, the stronger you are. And there is a point where you exceed that and you get yourself into trouble. And obviously you know how to do that, to work with athletes and look for those things that help us dial it back. And, you know, I always think a coach's job is to do two things. One of them is to lay out a training plan that's achievable and to encourage you to do those workouts 
and encourage you that it's still achievable when you miss something here or there, but to also listen and help you dial back your activity when you're obviously heading into trouble. And, you know, you have to convince them that, okay, I know I told you after these workouts, but you're going to do this. You're still going to be fine. And it's easier listening to you, right? Like it's yeah. really hard when you're doing it by yourself, which is why I think athletes need a coach like you. They need somebody to work with who can go, you know, forget what you read. You know, you, okay, you bought a book on training plans. Sure, you can make your own training plan. I did that. That'll work. It'll get you there if you don't get injured. But with somebody like you, it's so easy for them to just check in with you and say, well, you know, I really, I'm not sleeping very well. I was really, really tired on my run today. My pace was way off. I couldn't, you know, I don't know why I was so tired. And this is really the key, you know, is that you understand what that means because you don't have years of experience. You have the equivalent of hundreds of years of experience because you've worked with all of these athletes who cumulatively give you this incredible wealth of knowledge that can help them direct their own activities so they can actually be as fit as possible on race day. So how do, are you taking athletes now on as uh, even through this, uh, this whole crazy shutdown thing? <laughs> well, it's funny. All of my training has been online for mm -hmm. years. Yeah. Um, but the way, the way I actually work with people, I don't do one-on-one -on -one work. It's strictly group work. Right. And I have a, a 30 day class that all of my group clients have to go through before uh, I can work with them because what I do is I teach them the fundamentals of, of the style of running that I teach. And, and I, I, I probably teach a slightly different running form than you do because the majority of my clients are, you know, midlife women who are plus sized. And so I teach them a much shorter stride. I teach them uh, a run walk approach, which I think mm -hmm. gives them the chance to be runners for the next 50 years rather than, you know, overtraining and getting injured. So I like to, I like to teach them my particular brand of running form. Um, and then I teach them all the mental tools as well. Yeah. And so before you can become like a, a long-term coaching client of mine, you have to kind of go through, uh, my, my little boot camp, <laughs> yeah. basically. Um, so yeah, and I run that live a few times a year. I think the next one is coming up in, I want to say April. Uh -huh. uh, my, my assistant would have the full schedule, but I'm pretty sure it comes up in April. Um, but yeah, that's how I, that's how I work with my clients. I don't do, um, I don't do one-on-one -on -one work anymore because I do find that when you work with groups of people, one person has a question, everybody else really has the same question and they were too afraid to ask it so that we get a lot of um, issues and questions and concerns out in the open more than if, if I worked one-on-one -on -one with somebody because you know, a lot of times they're too embarrassed to ask. So, totally. uh, so the, the group work is very, very powerful. Yep. It's, it is really um, interesting how powerful that can be. You know, I, I lecture at lots of medical conferences on running injuries and I take all of this time and effort to put together what I think is like the best possible thing for them to understand conditions. And, you know, I've, I hired a video animator to make all these 3d anim, you know, anatomy animations that show what's happening and all this stuff. And I really do put a huge amount of effort in it. And without exception, every time I'm lecturing at a conference, when there's the question and answer session, the most valuable content from the entire thing comes from doctors who ask a question that I didn't think about. Mm. And I, I know what I know, and I know what I think people should know. And then there's what they really need to know, which is the stuff they ask at the end. 
And everybody in the room needs to hear those things, not what I came up with to tell them. And I think group coaching really does work that way. Yeah. I mean, I get, I, I get inquiries all the time where people will call me and they'll say, well, you know, we just want to ask you a question and have you do it like your answer is a podcast episode or something. And like, I do that all the time. I take questions people send me and I just make them into podcasts to answer their question. But what's really interesting is I have lots of people that will say, well, I'm a little embarrassed about this. So, you know, I just, I hope you could just type it up in an email or something and send it to me. I'm like, no way, because that's valuable for everybody else. So mm -hmm. all the people that listen to the podcast could learn from that. So I do that for free. Like I do the podcast. I don't get paid to do the podcast and you know, it's fine. I think it's useful to provide useful information to people. I was like, don't be offended by this, but I get hundreds of emails every single day. I have, let's see, I can tell you. So as of today, I have 29,837 unopened emails in my inbox. <laughs> unopened. So, you know, I, I'm really sorry, but I am not going to type up an individual answer for you that's not going to be shared to help anybody else. I just can't. Yeah. And, you know, and the group coaching gives you this really interesting format where you probably are going to develop some friendships and some relationships with other people that can continue to encourage you and help you along the way, you know, for many, many years. And um, I think it's really great that you do that. So uh, if you don't mind, we can put a link uh, in the show notes with the, uh, the next one of your group coaching sessions that opens up if it's in April or whenever it happens next. And maybe some people who are listening can join in and start with that and really get, you know, into a group that's going to be supportive, that's going to be helpful, that's going to be encouraging and not, you know, just giving you this crazy, oh, you have to go suffer. You know, if you don't run in the dark, you're a weakling kind of attitude. <laughs> um, where can they go to find you, follow you, reach out to you and listen to your show? What's the best place to find you? Um, so the show is called not your average, the not your average runner podcast. And so that's on, uh, you know, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, it's all the places. I think it's on Amazon now, which kind of cracks me up, but anyway. Um, so not your average runner podcast. Uh, you can find my website, not your average runner.com. If you're interested in signing up for the wait list for my, uh, for my upcoming class, it's the rebel runner roadmap.com. You can find me on Instagram at Not Your Average Runner. You can find me at Facebook at Not Your Average Runner. Basically, anywhere you Google Not Your Average Runner <laughs> is where you can find me. <laughs> That's great. It's very consistent. <laughs> very good. All right, Jill. Well, listen, uh, I'm really grateful that you could take time to come on the show today. I know you're busy, but um, I really have uh, wanted to sit down with you and have a conversation for a long time. So I uh, really enjoy your podcast. I think everybody should follow you. Everybody should download and follow all of your episodes because <laughs> if you're having a bad day, it is guaranteed to make it better for sure. Uh, yeah. So listen, thanks thank so you. much for taking time to come on today. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate your time so much. This has been great. So just like we talked about at the beginning of the episodes, one of the things Jill decided to give all of our listeners today is her free 30-day running start training plan. So go to DocOnTheRun.com slash NotYourAverageRunner and download it today.